Here we go, the official show on the Fish Stripes podcast channel. I am Eli Sussman, managing editor at Fish Stripes, and we're going to talk about the Miami Marlins. As usual, these solo shows from me, presented by Symbol, the stock market for sports. It's an off day for the Marlins, for the whole Marlins organization. Get to take a breather, heading into the final leg of this road trip, and recording coming off an interesting series uh, against the Dodgers, salvaging the final game of that three-game set. It's uh, essentially the one-quarter mark of the Marlins' Major League season. 18 wins, 22 losses, a uh, plus-five run differential after 40 games of the 162-game slate. So first off, on the top of the show, we'll just do some quick hits on this weekend's three games in L.A. against the defending reigning World Series champions. We're going to cover uh, the first of what I hope is going to be a regular feature on my minor leaguers of the week, both a pitcher and a hitter who really stood out for their performance, kind of regardless of their prospect pedigree, just acknowledging the guys that are out on the field and uh, getting it done over there. But uh, most of this episode, the big feature will be covering... Uh, an overview of what we think of these new Marlins players. We know that the Marlins overall were extremely quiet on the transaction front over this previous offseason. Uh, it was left them in a position to be second-guessed, of course, if some of those low-payroll players uh, did not do the kind of job that we were hoping for, or if there were some obvious holes that popped up on the team. Uh, all things considered, we've, we've seen some of the flaws to that offseason plan, but especially on Sunday, that was a perfect uh, reflection of the, the difference that some of these new players have made. So I counted up 11 guys who were acquired over the offseason, had not been with the Marlins organization prior to 2021, who have now been playing with the major league team this season. I'm going to rank them from number 11 to number one in terms of those who have had the biggest impact through this first quarter of the season. Rewinding to Friday, the first game of that three-game set against the Dodgers. The Marlins lose 9-6. to six. Sandy Alcantara, his worst start of his career. He did not get out of the second inning. Ends up allowing eight runs in that second inning before being pulled in a disastrous performance for Sandy. His fastball velocity was exactly where it had usually been. And that's about all you can say about what was normal for Sandy. Everything else went wrong uh, facing a, a Dodgers lineup that was, they're not quite at full strength this entire series. Cody Bellinger is out for them. That's a big bet that's missing. That's usually there against right-handers. But still, all those marquee names from Mookie Betts to Justin Turner to Max Muncie to Corey Seager, and they were just seeing the ball really well against Sandy. Hard contact against him. It only goes an ending in a third in this one. Eight runs, all of them earned. There really wasn't much of an excuse for the performance. It even allows, uh, I think, one home run in this process. That uh, it was a night to forget for Sandy. And as usual, post-game, he kind of owns up to it. Just you got to turn the page from that because prior to that, he had been, uh, bottom line, one of the most consistent pitchers in all of baseball this season. Don't read too much into this, but obviously very disappointing for everybody involved. Uh, one of the only other takeaways from this game was Garrett Cooper. Um, all month, I've been 
following him along. He's had a really bizarre slump for the most part, but slowly inching his way out of it. And then here on Friday, it was his first extra base hit and his first runs batted in of the entire month of May here. That was on May 14th. So it took almost halfway through the month despite playing every day for him to finally have some of those impact hits that are so critical to him actually being a viable big league player. That was nice to see. The Marlins, they really did mount a intriguing comeback despite falling behind eight runs from the get-go, but still lose it uh, nine to six. They do get deep into the Dodgers bullpen. Um, still just a very disappointing start to that series. On Saturday, it was um, even a more lopsided game. I mean, at the beginning, showing more promise through three innings, Trevor Brower trading zeros with Jordan Holloway. Holloway making his second career start. It took until uh, just hours before the game for Mattingly to confirm that Holloway was indeed getting that start after a shaky performance earlier in the week in Arizona. All things considered, this was a a half step forward for Holloway. He ends up not quite making it through four innings, uh, but the first three were great. It was scoreless. His curveball looked terrific in this one. You'll see, you've probably seen some of the nasty gifts of that pitch and the chases he got with it. His fastball velocity was better than in his first start. That's a big question with him because fastball velo makes him a great reliever and how his breaking balls play off of that. He needs to, if he wants to be a starter, you want to have that same mid-90s to upper-90s velo um, sustaining itself a couple times through the order. And so his velo was improved. That was encouraging. But then things fall apart for him in the fourth inning. He just loses all control of his stuff, putting balls in the middle of the plate and otherwise just non-competitive misses out of the zone to walk batters uh, before the bullpen got rushed in. And uh, the Marlins made a somewhat surprising decision before the game to call up Braxton Garrett, uh, who we saw briefly in the majors last season. But the plan for Garrett was to get him some consistent starts in AAA to finish off his development, that that was supposed to be a high priority for the team to let him just focus on like fine-tuning his craft. But emergency duty required, and this kind of trickles back to that Friday game. All these games are interconnected. And that's something we probably don't talk about enough, that when Sandy got shelled and only went one in a third inning and they needed nearly seven innings out of that bullpen after already having pitched four games in a row in Arizona without getting great length from their starters, that this stuff is cumulative. That poor performance from Sandy kind of forced Cody Poteet off the roster, at least just very temporarily getting optioned down in favor of Garrett just because Garrett had a fresh arm. He comes in for some emergency mop-up duty in this one, pitches three innings. It looked all right, uh, nothing particularly overwhelming about him, and he's expected to, uh, he's already got sent back down just uh, one game later heading into Sunday because, again, that is not where he's supposed to be right now. Uh, Kudos to him for flying all the way across the country for this one and stepping up. Uh, but he he should be in Jacksonville right now. That's only what's fair to him. Another takeaway from this game, just sending best wishes to Corey Seager, the star shortstop for the Dodgers. He got hit on the hand by a Ross Detweiler fastball, and he knew it immediately that it was seriously hurt, diagnosed with a broken hand. They avoided a worst-case scenario. He doesn't need surgery to repair it. Uh, it's a more conventional broken hands that a few weeks in the cast and then a few weeks ramping up with baseball activities. He should be back uh, before the All-Star break, potentially uh, before the end of June at some point, and still have a relatively like 
full season, if not not 100%, maybe 75% for one of the better players in the game who is entering his walk year. A lot of pressure on Seager, but best wishes to him getting back soon. Moving to Sunday, that's what everybody wants to talk about. The one game in the series that the Marlins actually won 3-2 over the Dodgers. Jazz Chisholm Jr.'s return from the injured list. Yay! It was something I was hopeful for, but not optimistic about. He tore it up in his three games on his minor league rehab assignment, uh, playing on the road in Durham with AAA Jacksonville. And honestly, I was I didn't see an excuse for why he wasn't with the team on Saturday. Well, able to play on Saturday, I should say. That is when they flew him out, but they only reinstated him from the IL for Sunday's game. Uh, better late than never. Uh, so he does have a big impact in his very first game. Two for five at the plate. Two hard hits. Both of them exit velocity over 100 miles per hour. Then a third one that was up the middle, nearly beat out for a third hit, which would have been an infield single. Bang, bang play at first. Showing, of course, running down the line that that hamstring is fully intact. So great to see. A couple of other strikeouts in his other play appearances. Not a perfect game. Um, and the fact that all the balls were in the infield for the most part, just ground balls, uh, is something that he obviously will need to work on. But that's nitpicking. It was great to have him back, inserted at the top of the lineup. Um, I mean, historically, this season, the trends have been pretty uh, like eye-popping for the Marlins on Sundays. They are terrible on Sundays. Entering this game, all four games they'd played, they had lost. In those four games, they'd combined to score five runs on Sundays all season. The other uh, concern is that Pablo Lopez was on the bounds. For whatever reason, they have been completely unable to give Pablo run support this season. There was one game where they really exploded and scored more than they needed, on a day that Pablo actually struggled. And then all those other games, just nothing. Nothing doing whatsoever. Don Mattingly, he uh very curious decision to sit in this game, Miguel Rojas and Jesus Aguilar. I mean, arguably the two most consistent hitters on the team for this entire road trip thus far. Both of them get an off day on this game. Maybe he was conceding that uh, these trends would uh, continue unless he did something very bold. I mean, it's hard to really uh, feel that you're better off to win a game if you're missing those two guys from their lineup. And through the first four and two-thirds innings, the Marlins had hardly anything doing offensively despite a Dodgers bullpen game. It was started by Jimmy Nelson, then they went to old friend Alex Vesia, uh, then they went to some of their younger guys, Mr. Uh, Edgar Santana and uh, Edwin Uceda. I mean, guys that, th- these were not the best arms in the Dodgers bullpen, and yet the Marlins, into the middle of the game, were unable to score. They wasted some opportunities, they took some bad swings, it was going to look very disappointing, especially when uh, Pablo did allow a couple runs early on. The concern is that that would have been insurmountable for this team. And then, of course, that big fifth inning that swings the entire game, a two-out rally. Uh, Pablo Lopez uh, puts a ball in a perfect place and reaches on an error. Jazz gets one of those two hits to bring up uh, Adam Duvall. Well, Adam Duvall eventually gets up with two outs in that inning, and he crushes it down the left field line. Adam Duvall with a drive out to left. Is it going to stay fair? Yes, sir. Three-run home run, Adam Duvall. And the Marlins jump on top in the fifth. 
It turns a 2-0 deficit into a 3-2 Marlins lead. Adam Duvall was not done yet. They go to the bottom of the fifth inning. Pablo trying to get through that to uh, qualify for the win, of course, but also just to save the Marlins bullpen that had been depleted and just to show that everything's all right with him. He was coming off a shaky start in Arizona, critical fifth inning for him, and uh, doesn't get off to a, a great start. I mean, immediately gets a guy in scoring position against him, and uh, it looks like that Marlins will immediately be giving back that lead that they just seized in the top of the inning. There's not a whole lot you can do. You need a perfect throw, but Adam Duvall made that perfect throw, and he gets a lot of help from Chad Wallach on an acrobatic tag to make sure that Mookie does not find home plate. Pablo gears up for another 1-2 pitch, and Beatty into right field, a base hit. Betts is around third. Here comes the throw. It's in time, and Wallach got him on the leg. That ends the inning. The Marlins have turned, I believe they've turned more double plays this year than any other team in the in the National League for sure. And not just the ground ball double plays, it's stuff like that. Adam Duvall now with four outfield assists on the season, and that one is about as critical one as you can get to uh, preserve the lead. From there, the Marlins hand it off to the bullpen. They go to Richard Blyer, who has still not walked a batter all season. We have an article up on that on fish drives. He did have a close call to walking a batter in this one, going to a full count against Gavin Lux before retiring him. But a perfect inning for Blyer, a perfect inning for Anthony Bass. You need to highlight Anthony Bass because I was... um. I was disappointed with him, not just through the beginning of the season, the first few games, but even during his scoreless streak in April, it was an unconvincing scoreless streak. He was still getting bailed out by his defense, did not show any really one particular pitch that he was consistent with. But here, uh, these last week or so, his last four appearances in particular, I've seen that slider is on a new level. It is uh, this is no exaggeration. His slider is one of the best pitches on the Marlins pitching staff right now. One of the nastiest ones. And he's able to get some key swings and misses again with that pitch in this game. Lowers his ERA on the season to 440. So we'll be talking about Bass in a little bit. We'll be talking about Dylan Floro in a little bit. Both of these guys, again, acquired over the offseason. New additions to the Marlins team. And in this game, they get four scoreless innings from the bullpen, including Bass, including Floro. And Floro was had one of his shakiest performances of the season. And uh, that, that that's saying something because he's had very little of those. But in this one, just barely gets through the eighth inning without sur- surrendering a run. And then they hand it off to Yimmy Garcia, his seventh save of the season. So the Marlins salvage something. From that series, again, they do it with without Rojas, giving Miguel Rojas an entire day off and limiting Aguilar to just pinch hitting and still with just enough offense, courtesy of Adam Duvall. On the minor league side, um, my first of many uh, weekly features on Mondays, just highlighting a pitcher and position player during the previous week with Marlins minor league affiliates who got the job done. And the pitcher choice is very obvious this week. It is right-hander Zach McCambly friend of the Fish Stripes podcast. If you haven't heard it already, you can check out the interview we had with him right before the start of Major League Spring Training. This was his second professional start in the rotation for the high A Beloit snappers, and uh, he made that start. He let off the week. He's at the top of that rotation on Tuesday, so thinking going way back in your memory banks uh, to almost a full week ago, but his performance stood out. Seven innings, eight strikeouts, zeros across other than that. Nothing else. No other base runners. Seven 
perfect innings for Zach McCambly. Unfortunately, in the minor leagues, they don't have that same sense of purpose as you do in the majors. If he was doing this in the major leagues, then obviously you let him go out for the eighth and keep pitching until somebody gets on against him. Seven perfect innings. There's really not, not much more you can say. He was someone that was very valued coming out of the draft for his, his good fastball and his plus breaking ball. And we're seeing that his changeup is definitely coming along as well because he faced uh, more than a few left-handed batters in this game and they got nothing done against him. As is always the case when you're perfect, there's some help from the defense. Uh, Connor Scott, for one, had a nice diving catch in left field in this game. I remember uh, another good defensive play on the right side of the infield. I think uh, either the first baseman or the second baseman getting saving a ball from getting through. And uh, so th- this game was not televised in its entirety. Um, this would just get little bits and pieces of it from listening on the radio and from fans submitting their own footage from the stands. So you can't get an entire read on this game, but through nearly two-thirds of his pitches for strikes, fair share of ground balls, that McCambly was great. And there was this was a mildly aggressive assignment to start his pro career at the high A level, and he is handling it perfectly. So congrats to McCambly, and I look forward to following him um, at Beloit moving forward. Not sure if he's going to spend the whole season there if he keeps this up, but this was a great, great outing for him. On the hitter side, it is Federico Polanco, the infielder acquired in the Jordan Yamamoto trade for the week. He hit 500 with an 813 slugging percentage. Five runs batted in in just four games for low A Jupiter. Polanco, a 20-year-old infielder who has played some second base and some third base for the, for Jupiter so far this season. A five-game extra base hit streak that actually dates back to the previous week for someone that it, he's, he's not a big guy. This is, he's an relatively, I guess, he's ordinary size for like a second baseman, but obviously undersized if uh, his position is third base long-term that Nonetheless, he's able to generate a lot of hard contact and hit it to all fields in this one. Runs pretty well. Also, the fact that he has a a triple during this extra base hit streak during the week. And I I mean, as I pointed out to a couple of people that um, the Marlins could use Jordan Yamamoto pretty badly right now at the major league level. We know that they're essentially operating with a three-man rotation. And Yamamoto is available with the Mets. And he's pitched a couple times in the majors already this season. And he's someone that had a lot of years of long-term control remaining for them to straighten him out after a shaky 2020. I think it's too, soon, too way too soon to consider that trade a clear win for the Marlins, considering how much Yamamoto would be helpful right now. But Polanco's first week, now well now at this point, two weeks in the Marlins minor league system has been about as amazing as you could have hoped for. He's been one of the most productive hitters at any level of the organization, especially this past week with all these extra base hits and Jupiter overall with it, with a solid week of performance after they got off to a shaky start collectively. So Polanco batting near the top of that lineup. I mean, there are other big names in that lineup like Nassim Nunez and Osiris Johnson, uh, who else am I overlooking? Um, D.O.L. Burgos, guys that were really big money, uh, either draft picks or international signees. And yet Polanco is the one more so than anybody that is shining bright in the early portion of the season. I feel pretty good about his long-term prospects. If you feel good about where the Marlins are heading, then you can invest in them on Symbol. Fish Stripes and Symbol 
now two months into our partnership here on the podcast. The symbol is the stock market for sports, where it allows you to trade teams like stocks and earn cash payouts when they win. Use your knowledge about MLB, the NFL, or the NBA to buy low, sell high, and profit. It has market analysis directly on the symbol site. We do the same on Fishstripes to get you familiar with the platform so that you can get in there and make the investments that make sense. Join more than 2,000 early adopters who have already started to invest. The site is www.simbull.app, symbol.app. When you make your first deposit there, you use the promo code FISHSTRIPES, all one word, to get your $10 deposit bonus. We've seen a bunch of people already use that bonus, so we thank you for uh, giving it a try, and we encourage everybody else to do the same. Currently, Sim Marlin's share price is at $29.01, so go to symbol.app. Use that promo code FISHSTRIPES or click the link directly in the article in the podcast description. We make it easy for you to find it. That gets you a $10 deposit bonus when you make your first deposit to help build your portfolio. Invest in what you know. Invest in sports. As I teased earlier, at the one-quarter mark of the season, pretty much with this Marlins team, it's a good time to take perspective on what They've gained out of their offseason moves. It was a quiet offseason overall for the Marlins, but even so, I mean, you go through so many players that you don't realize in order to get through a full-length season. And to this point, they've used 11 players on this team who were not with the Marlins organization at all last year, mostly on the pitching side. Uh, There's a lot of continuity in the lineup from where we were last year, but a couple of key hitters as well, including one that is going to rank very high up in these rankings of new Marlins and the ones that have had the biggest impact on the team. We start uh, from the bottom to the top. So we start with number 11 out of 11. And unsurprisingly, I have right-hander Paul Campbell in this spot, who is now uh, unavailable for the next few months at least due to a PED suspension, one that he is challenging and insisting that he did nothing wrong. Um, Regardless, even when he was healthy, he just flopped for the Marlins um, as a Rule 5 draft pick acquired from the Rays. Pretty deep in the Rule 5 draft. They liked the fact that he was he had that versatility to potentially be a starting pitcher very early in this season. They had that need at the back end of their rotation. Campbell had his opportunity to step up, uh, to step up and he just could not get the job done. I mean, even before that, in some of his mop-up relief appearances, had trouble finding the zone. Uh, despite a pretty deep pitch mix, he was not missing bats at the way you would expect. Through his uh, overall, before his suspension, he made one, two, three, four, only five appearances. It felt like more than that, but only five appearances from him yeah, really got hit around. Um, and overall, kept the ball in the ballpark. I mean, that's the biggest positive you could say about him. He just did not challenge hitters the way he needed to, uh, to be efficient with his pitches, to save the other relievers in their bullpen. Uh, they really had to keep some deserving guys off of this roster temporarily in order for Campbell to make it and to stick as a Rule 5 guy, and he let them down. So number 10, one spot ahead of Campbell, I have right-hander Luis Madero, who spent just a couple days in the big leagues with the Marlins, uh, debuting during that Diamondback series with a solid two innings, and then following that up with a clunker in what was one of the most lopsided losses of the entire Marlins season. 
He was signed over the offseason as a non-roster invitee to spring training, a minor league deal. He didn't have any experience above the AA level level before this, and he didn't get much of a chance to work at AAA before being called up for emergency bullpen duty. Uh, And I guess he did his job in that he just took the bullets uh, to get the Marlins through that one game that they were already trailing against the D-backs. Didn't show a whole lot. I mean, he's got intriguing breaking balls, but not necessarily the kind of command or the kind of quality fastball that you need to be a reliable relief pitcher. He's still very young. He's actually younger than Campbell, just 24 years old. So there's time for him to continue getting better. He cleared waivers, thankfully, when the Marlins designated him for assignment. He reported to AAA Jacksonville. So we may see him again at some point later this year or in future years. Number nine on these rankings, catcher Sandy Leone. Also signed as a minor league deal, a non-roster invitee to spring training, and he got called up at when Jorge Alfaro got injured. A great first impression from Sandy. He had a few hits in his ma- in his Marlins debut, not his major league debut. He comes to the Marlins with more major league experience than any of the other hitters that they acquired over the offseason. I think parts of eight seasons in the majors, including with the world champion Boston Red Sox back in 2018. Uh, aside from that first game, his offense has been a non-factor. I mean, to this point, he finally hit a home run relatively recently. Overall, just two extra base hits in 19 games. And the playing time share between him and Chad Wallach has been interesting. He's actually received more of the playing time than Wallach. I think a lot of people would agree that you put the whole like equation together, that Leon has been the slightly better overall catcher that's not saying much, unfortunately. Uh, there, other teams are still running almost at will against Sandy when he's behind the plate. So that's one element of the game he can't control. Not much of a base runner, which is something you notice when Jorge Alfaro is your usual catcher, uh, that Alfaro is an anomaly in that regard. Sandy, a pretty typical replacement level guy that I called up in this situation. Um, we expect him to actually stick on this roster once Alfaro gets back and maybe they send down Wallach instead that um, that Leon has done enough to stick around. Uh, again, that's not a very high bar to clear and Alfaro is still not close to getting back. In the meantime, get used to seeing a lot of Sandy catching games for the Marlins. Number eight in the new Marlins rankings, right-hander Zach Pop, who is definitely trending upward, a big arrow pointing upward for Zach Pop. A couple of his first appearances early on this season were disastrous. He had that blown game against the Braves. He had that grand slam allowed against the Cardinals. And you take those games out of it, he has been terrific. We saw his great stuff in spring training that he has this mid 90 sinker with nasty, nasty two-plane movement to it. And he's got a quality slider as well. So the only question was going to be getting ahead in counts in order to deploy that slider. He's had mixed results in that regard, as I just mentioned, but when he gets ahead, he is he makes it pretty look pretty easy. He generates a lot of grounders. That was, a, that was his track record in the minor leagues, and that aspect has translated to the major leagues. As we're recording this, he hasn't been used very much recently, and I think that just speaks to the fact that all these veterans in the Marlins bullpen have been really getting the job done, and you'll be hearing about some of them coming up in these next few picks. Overall, with Pop, a... 4.61 ERA in 13 and two-thirds innings pitched. Uh, those couple key home runs that he allowed, but outside of that, hasn't allowed any home runs beyond that. And he's keeping his walks down probably a little more than I had expected. Just five walks to this point, only seven total hits. He has been, overall, he's been 
um, I think you'd have to say above replacement level, which is uh, you generally can't have high expectations for Rule 5 draft picks in their very first season. He was, you know, he's technically acquired in a trade after being selected in the Rule 5, so he has to stick on the active roster. To this point, there's really no doubt that he is going to be part of this Marlins bullpen for the remainder of the season, and we'll see what they do with him beyond 2021. All things considered, an encouraging start to his major league career. Number seven, I have right-hander Anthony Bender. Hashtag Bendermania. I wanted to put him higher. You guys know I did. Since spring training, I had him circled as um, a revelation that despite being acquired under the radar on a minor league deal, that he pretty immediately showed the kind of all the checked all the boxes that you want from a high leverage relief pitcher, despite the fact that he didn't have any experience uh, really doing that at the major league level or even in the high minor league levels. He, uh, I mean, he didn't even get a chance to pitch at AAA. Uh, they technically assigned him down there at the alternate training site, but eventually they got that need on the previous road trip to have him on the taxi squad. And then they re- they activated him, selected his contract shortly thereafter. I would have him higher if he had pitched more. He simply has not had the opportunities to this point. Uh, overall, as we record this, he has pitched five times and five scoreless innings. Only one hit allowed, only one walk allowed, striking out eight. Nearly half the batters he has faced have struck out in the small sample. His, his sinker is proving to be one of the nastier fastballs of any kind on the staff that the kind of amazing arm side movement that he gets on that pitch to get looking strikeouts to get some silly looking swings that it's a great foundation for the rest of his stuff the the key with him like with most relievers was going to be getting ahead in counts being able to throw strikes when you need to so far so great for anthony bender when we see more of him he will move up this list for sure number six fellow anthony anthony bass um, who I mentioned earlier, giving a shout out to how he has improved, that he he had found that slider. He has ditched his splitter, which has been curious. The fact that he spoke pretty highly of developing that splitter earlier this season to have it as a tool against especially left-handed batters. And the big weakness with Anthony Bass has been facing lefties, that they are really tearing him up Um I think at least one, if not both of those uh, key blown saves he had were home runs to left-handed batters. Yep, yeah, definitely that was the case. And I mean, since then, as the overall numbers would suggest, he's been better against lefties, but still overall that has been uh, a weakness for him. And recently pitching in the seventh inning, the setup to the setup guy. So, uh, well, in a few cases, uh, Don Mattingly has used them in even higher leverage situations. Um, I mean, most recently, barely a week ago, taking the loss in that extra inning game at home when he came into a tie game in the 10th inning. But that was really the start of, to me, what was him straightening himself out where it really only took until that moment, all the way up until this point, uh, I had concerns about him being a productive member of the bullpen, but he has figured out that slider and he's getting so many chases on it. He's getting great movement. He is shaping it a couple different ways, depending on the situation. You could see the movement change to uh, cater to the particular batter. He's pretty locked in right now with Anthony Bass. I think the overall performance this season it falls below what you were hoping for, especially considering he is the highest paid reliever in this bullpen in terms of guaranteed money on his contract. Still relatively early in, in the year, and as long as he keeps up what he's been doing this past week or so, he will be an important piece of this bullpen, someone that will draw some trade interest at the deadline, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, uh, that 
overall, it looks like he is salvaging what was a nightmare start to his season. Number five, sticking with the bullpen, left-hander Ross Detweiler, who was, I believe, the first major league free agent signing of the Kim Ang general manager era. He got a low one-year deal coming off what was a pretty solid season for the White Sox in relief. All things considered, about the same guy that he was with the White Sox last year, where he gets a surprising amount of success with his slider. He throws his slider a whole lot. It's like a slider-cutter hybrid that uh, he developed once he knew that he was going to be uh, kind of a full-time reliever. He has actually started games this season. Uh, Don Mattingly said in spring training pretty defiantly that um, that Detweiler would be a reliever and nothing more. And essentially, he, he's been used in just short situations. Uh, those starts have been as a quote-unquote opener, never going more than two innings at a time. Uh, but his season results overall have been pretty solid. I mean, he had that, people will remember, a really concerning spring training performance. But since we have flipped the switch to real games, through 15 in a third innings, a 3.52 earned run average, and has not allowed a home run all season long. So that's pretty impressive. Um, and he's having a lot of success against lefties. He's been a competitive against righties as well. I mean, overall, fine. Not a super high upside guy. Uh, really only one or two appearances that I would characterize as dominant, but he's, he's a piece. He's a solid mill reliever, uh, especially considering that this team doesn't have very many other options against lefties. Number four, right-hander John Curtis. This one, they gave up a little to acquire Curtis. They traded first base prospect Evan Edwards to the Rays, Always some trepidation about doing deals with the Tampa Bay Rays. They always seem to come out on the better end of these marginal trades, and it's still too early to judge in full, but Curtis has been impressive. He kind of, like Detweiler, is replicating what he did the previous year. He was a big breakout guy in the Rays bullpen in 2020, ended up pitching some, some important innings for them in the postseason as well, even in the World Series. He stumbled out of the gate a little bit. His slider early in the year was a mess. He just was not keeping it down. He was not getting swings and misses. He allowed a a couple key home runs early in the year. And since then, over the last month plus, he has been excellent. Very recently, only for the first time, he issued a walk. He had gone more than 60 batters this season without walking anybody. For the season overall, a 2.33 ERA. Um, Mattingly is still a little tentative about using him in true high leverage situations. Um, he seems to be below Anthony Bass on the pecking order. I don't have super strong feelings about that, especially if Bass is doing, taking his game to another level recently, but Curtis, as much as pretty much anybody on the like bullpen outside of Anthony Bender, Curtis has great swing and miss potential with that slider. And when he keeps his fastball up and the slider down that between those pitches, um, that's been a very successful formula formula for him overall. So a lot of years of control ahead on John Curtis. And so far in his first year with the Marlins, he is making a clear positive impact. Number three, much higher on these rankings than I initially would have expected before doing the work, has to be Adam Simber, the submarine right-hander, acquired a very low-profile uh, low deal for cash considerations uh, at the beginning of the previous offseason from the Cleveland Indians. He is having arguably the best season of, of his career to this point. Very, very quietly, he has faced more batters than any other relief pitcher on the Marlins this season. He has faced 78 batters, more than anybody else, 2.84 ERA, just like uh, 
Richard Blyer, just like uh, Ross Detweiler, he has not allowed a home run this season. Zero. He's been generating a lot of ground balls. Um, overall, he's someone that does pitch to contact more than most of these other guys, and that tends to occasionally lead to some very frustrating outings. A few immediately come to mind of times where he just hard hit ground balls that went to the wrong spot uh, that end up like leading to some pretty crooked numbers on the scoreboard. That Those rallies are going to happen with Simber um, on days when balls simply find the right spot. Overall, he makes sense as a great compliment to this team. We've spoken about how the Marlins infield defense is pretty lock tight, one of the better units in the big leagues. In terms of converting balls into outs, especially with Jazz Chisholm back from the injured list, and that fit has been very good overall with Simber. He's been used in a whole variety of situations. There have been some traditional high leverage stuff. For the most part, it's been about him entering in the middle of innings um, and getting them through it, giving them additional length on top of that. So the variety of his appearances has been very valuable. The fact that he's able to jump into those situations without any complaints and uh, overall, it just has not had any single outing that is a true blow-up on his part. Um, a few too many hit batsmen for my taste. Oh, let's see, overall, three hit batters by Adam Simber that is tied for the most on the team. Those are very frustrating when the ball doesn't break the, the way you'd want. That's kind of just an occupational hazard of being a submariner, where right-handed hit batters especially just don't pick up the ball out of his hands. Um, so when a ball is actually headed in their direction, they may be slow to actually recognize that they're going to be hit by a pitch. That number is going to continue to be high for him. Um, if he does everything right outside of that, he'll be an effective reliever overall. So a nice pickup with Adam Simber, who like several of these other guys could be around for a while longer if, um, if they choose not to sell high on him. Then number two, we finally make it back to the position player side, the big star from Sunday's game, outfielder Adam Duvall. Overall, just he's been such a key piece to what they do um, on both sides of the ball. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I mean, you start with the obvious place, the power hitting. He had been one of the better power hitters in baseball the, the last two years. And so far this season, he is right there, right behind Jesus Aguilar as the number two power hitter on this team, the number two run producer. He especially does it in those big high pressure spots with two outs, with runners in scoring position. He's been arguably the best hitter in all of baseball in that particular situ situation with two outs. RISP, including, of course, in Sunday's game, hitting that home run, that those situations, they do matter kind of more than others. If you don't take advantage of those situations, how emotionally deflating it is for the team and how much of a missed opportunity it is um, with those at-bats, there's so much riding on it, not just to get on base, but to actually do damage. And that's the one concern, of course, with Duvall that we knew coming into this was his on-base skills, that when everything's going great for him, he's kind of a league average on-base guy. And so far this season, he has been well below league average in terms of his OBP. It's never, it hasn't really been anywhere close to 300 at any point this season, currently in the 270s. Um, 
with him only as drawing a handful of walks this season compared to more than 40 strikeouts, by far the most strikeouts on the Marlins team, even though he's not starting exactly every day, but he's starting pretty close to every day just because of the startling Marte injury and because of what he's done defensively. The fact that he, entering this season and to the early portion of the season, there was no indication at all that he could uh, like viably play center field. Um, he'd never really done it for any extended period in the big leagues, and yet here he is at age 32 uh, with Marte still out for the foreseeable future, he has started a handful of games in center field for the Marlins and looked totally comfortable doing it. He's at his best when he's playing in the corners, though, in left field and in right field. That signature play on Sunday coming as a right fielder. He has four outfield assists on the season, and he has shown good range. Despite his age, despite not looking like particularly uh, like a dynamic athlete, he covers a lot of grounds and gets good reads off the ball. He has been one of the better overall outfielders defensively in baseball. I don't think it's a stretch to say he's been one of the better overall defenders at any position in baseball. You don't know if that will keep up for the entire season if he's playing every single day. That's something he has not done for a full-length season since his Cincinnati Reds days. So far, he's been just a, a huge piece to this team. Um, he gets you frustrated during those cold stretches. Um, they happen. We were kind of warned about this. His track record was pretty clear that there are some lulls in his production that will really frustrate you. And, but he compensates for that. He really does when he catches fire, um, for a couple games at a time. And overall, even though the stats would tell you that he's technically like a below average hitter in terms of weighted runs created plus that the situations that he's coming through in and the way that the team has needed him due to their concerns about their other outfielder uh, options that he has been an ideal fit and he's been worth the money to this point uh, in the first year of a deal that also has a mutual option tacked on at the end very interesting decisions about what exactly they'll do with him when Starling Marte gets back and when the next wave of outfield prospects are ready to make an impact. Number one on this list, referenced him earlier, um, coming off uh, one of his shakiest appearances of the season, um, where there haven't been very many whatsoever, because Dylan Floro has exceeded expectations. He's been one of the better relievers in baseball. In my opinion, probably the most valuable reliever that the Marlins have had this season right there with Yimmy Garcia, but Yimmy, of course, a returning player after being with the Marlins in 2019, that Dylan Floro has been exceptional. A sub-1 ERA, 0.96. Same thing with base runners allowed, 0.96 per inning, less than one base runner per inning, hasn't hit a batter all season, has only walked four batters this season, hasn't allowed a home run all season. The peripheral numbers are gorgeous for Dylan Floro in his age 30 season. He's had some good seasons before, um, as recently as last year with the Dodgers. He was firmly above average out of the bullpen. He pitched in some big spots in the postseason. He was never really viewed as a primary setup guy or a true yeah, a true stopper in the back of the bullpen, and he's taken this game to another level this year. His changeup has been terrific, the kind of movement he's getting and the location he's getting with that. Overall, just throwing strikes to the edges of the zone. That's something that's so important. Effective strikes, not just throwing strikes, but actually putting them in places where opponents can't do damage. He generates a ton of ground balls, and 
he's just shown that he can handle the high-pressure situations. Uh, one of the worst appearances of his year was that actual save opportunity in extra innings against the Braves. He blew that one. I'd say overall that was his lowest moment of the year. That, that was almost a month ago. Since then, he has gone back to being um, terrific. He has been one of the most important relievers on this team, uh, and he does it in a way that I think is sustainable. I mean, as long as his command remains that precise and he continues to use uh, all three of his pitches, his fastball, slider, and changeup, uh, keeping batters off balance with how he's deploying those weapons, that this is going to continue. He has, this year, earning less than $1 million, and that makes him a terrific bargain uh, for this team. So that appearance on Sunday must have felt good, knowing that he didn't quite have his best stuff, and yet still gets puts up a scoreless inning against the team that traded him away just a few months ago. So you look at that group, um, no superstar in the bunch, um, a lot of relievers in there, a lot of relievers that are either meeting or exceeding expectations, and that's why the Marlins, as a unit, have had one of the best bullpens in all of baseball surprisingly, to this point of the year. That was a priority for them over the offseason, and so many of these guys are as good as, as advertised, if not even better. That's going to do it for this episode. I'd love to see your power ranking of New Marlins. Those are the 11 names. I'll have them listed on the website page uh, if you need to keep track of them. How would you rank them in terms of guys that have had the biggest impact on the team through the first quarter of the season? Uh, enjoy your off day between the Marlins and their minor league affiliates as well. Root on your Florida Panthers and your Miami Heat as they are just starting their postseason runs um, in their respective leagues. Uh, upcoming coverage for us. Of course, when the games get back on Tuesday, we'll have our Fish Stripes live stream on Twitter, Twitch, and YouTube. We'll have our daily coverage on fishstripes.com, uh, our minor league reports. Um, that come out every, almost every single day following the minor league games. Got our game recaps. We have more analysis from me. I did recent stuff on Garrett Cooper, on Richard Blyer, and I'll have more coming up on uh, balls and strikes and the umpiring in Marlins games this season. I should have something relatively soon on two-way player Sean Reynolds, who's currently with the Jupiter Hammerheads, and how that experiment is going for them in Jupiter. Uh, what else? Of course, we have our daily small pods on Tuesdays through Fridays that will keep you out on the daily stuff. And uh, a final tease that we're hearing this week on Friday, it's known that the Marlins will be wearing for the first time their Nike City Connect uniforms uh, that they seem to, the hints are they pay an homage to uh, Cuba in some form or fashion, but that reveal should be coming any moment now in terms of what those uniforms are look like, and I'm sure there will be a lot of thoughts about that as the Marlins debut those for the first time, and they may be adding them to their uniform rotation on a somewhat regular basis. Should be a fun storyline to keep us occupied on this off day as we look forward to the second quarter, essentially, of this Marlins season. It's been a fun start to it. Uh, Keep listening, stay engaged, uh, subscribe, rate, and review to the podcast. Always appreciate your support and your feedback. I'm Eli Sussman. Go fish.